ceremony will begin shortly. Would you be seated? I'll face whatever you have behind those doors and come out exactly as I went in. A challenge? My faith against yours. Deliver me from evil. Evil? There is no evil here. Come forth, O master of the world. Present thyself to him. Behold! Soon the family name of Preston will be no more. I command this soul to be purified by fire and water. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! Seize him! They had no faces. The Devil's Reign. Hundreds of souls held captive in an eternity of hell. Possessed by the devil, there have been films about earthquakes, airplane disasters, and blazing infernos. But there has never been anything like The Devil's Reign. Welcome to the madness that is The Devil's Reign. The 1975 highly maligned, but overlooked often and dearly beloved by some of us maniacs out here. Film by the great Robert Fuist, starring an incredible cast about a satanic cult leader who comes back from the past to hunt down a book that has been kept away from him and his disciples by the descendants of his enemies from back in the time of the pilgrims. He's come back for a closing on the blood contracts for the souls which are kept in a weird vase that we call the Devil's Reign. Hello and welcome back to Scream Addicts. I'm Jinx, your host, and that was David Desmalchin talking about Robert Fust's 1975 horror film, The Devil's Reign. Mr. Desmalchin is an actor known for such films as The Dark Knight, Prisoners, Ant-Man, Blade Runner 2049, and The Belko Experiment. In addition, Mr. Desmalchin created Count Crowley, one of the best damn comics on stands right now. <laughs> Mr. Desmalchin, thank you so much for being on the show. We've talked Count Crowley before. I've, I've written about it at length. I, I adore that comic, sir. Thank you, and I adore your adoration for the comic. It's uh, <laughs> it's definitely my greatest um, achievement, I'd say, as a creative person and storyteller, and it is absolutely hugely influenced by the kinds of films that you discuss here on your show and the kind of writing that I know that you do as a as someone who, um, who, who writes commentary and analysis of horror culture and film, and I'm very, very, very um, grateful for for your response and, 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 and others like you who've, um, who really gravitated towards Count Crowley. So thanks for having me on. And I'm excited to talk about some really, um, insane cinema tonight. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on. And that, now as with every episode, I'll ask out of any horror movie you might've chosen to discuss any at all, why go with the devil's reign? <laughs> well, we're living in what is absolutely the most insane time of my life, um, and I'm sure of all of the listeners and yours as well, um, I, I don't think um, we in in any regard expected to be going through what we're experiencing right now in the midst of uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And I think that all of our lives have been turned upside down and everything feels just a bit crazy. So I feel like sometimes what's a what's a good way to feel a little less crazy well maybe by watching something that's absolutely bat crap crazy and um the devil's reign has some incredible elements to it and has some things that i dearly love about it and um i can't wait to talk to you about it but i thought in the midst of all this mania that we're living through uh why not just throw something extra crazy in the mix um to, to maybe make us feel like things are are um, a little more manageable. You know, it definitely was appreciated. I, I I feel like we need all the escapism that we can get right now, and certainly watching a you know crazier horror movie definitely helps. Something a bit more fantastic, I think. I don't I don't know that I could handle like. <sighs> I don't know if I can handle like a home invasion movie right now or a pandemic film. I, I don't know if I could watch something like Outbreak or Contagion right now. Uh, I'm 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 all for, uh, you know, genre picks that are a bit more imaginative right now to sort of take me out of the reality that we're stuck in. As I really right uh, I agree with you. And that's one of the wonderful things about, I think, um, all storytelling. But something I love about genre storytelling, obviously, like really elevated and, um, you know, um, 
introspective and 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 thoughtful and 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 high art um you know horror filmmaking which is in a really wonderful place right now in our in our um in in film society um is is so awesome and you can do so much wonderful like commentary with it and you can have such a you know cerebral experience with it but at the same time something about horror and something that has always drawn me back to horror is that it's this um it's this weird way of kind of psychologically placating and dealing with and um, uh, exploiting and celebrating and um, taking the merry-go-round slash roller coaster ride that is our as human beings kind of um, you know dread and terror of our own mortality and um, and and processing it. I mean, that's ultimately in a horror film like you're you're just you're kind of forced to confront the thing that we fear the most, or at least most of, most of us fear the most, which is, you know, our, our untimely de- demises, our deaths, our, our ends, our finales. And so, um, so it's, it's, it, it can be cathartic. And um, I would say that, Oh, during, you know, self-isolation of coronavirus, I've been watching, you know, so much horror, you know, because it's, it's such a good form of escape for me. But the reality is, as my wife will point out, um, I probably watch at least one thing on Shutter every day and one thing on something else every. Like I watch one to two horror films a day, a day even if it wasn't coronavirus. <laughs> I can't I, uh, help myself. I'm an addict. I've been, I've been watching a lot of Shutter recently too. Isn't Shutter great? It's so good, uh, man. Have it's you so seen Cursed Films and, yet? Uh, it, it's it's. I just started it, and I'm actually reading an article about it in um, Fang, the newest issue of Fangoria that I just got in the mail, which made me so excited. Um, I, I envy you for that excited. because I I don't I I I do not subscribe to any magazines because I've never in in my 38 uh, as of tomorrow 39 years on this planet I've never been able to subscribe to any comic book or magazine that made it to me. Without looking like it had gone a couple of rounds with a baseball bat. Uh, so I always just, you know, opted to pick it up off of the newsstand. But it occurs to me, I was like, oh, my God, the new Fango. I'm not going to be able to pick it up. I don't know when I'll be able to read it. I don't subscribe, yeah. but I faithfully pick it up at my local comic shop, which is sadly now closed. I usually, you know, if I can't get it there, I'll get it at my local Books a Million, which is no longer open. So, you know, yeah. I, I I envy all of the listeners out there who have the new Fango. And uh, I don't know, I'm certain that some people will tell me I told you so when <clears throat> they recommended that I subscribe. But nevertheless. Well, first of all, let me say, Happy early birthday. What a treat getting to talk to you on the eve of your birthday and getting to talk to you about all things but the devil's reign. I mean, come on. What a birthday <laughs> celebration. Um, and also the Fango that I, you know, the, what the, the, the way that it's delivered, it comes in this really great, like, thick um, mailer that does keep it safe. And I, I signed up for the subscription because it gave me access to their um, their digital um, uh uh, world that they create for subscribers and like there's a lot of bonus stuff that comes with it but um you're right speaking of brick and mortar comic shops all of my all of my comic shops are closed right now and it's a very sad and scary time for those of us who and even um, diamond is love shut down. Like, diamond is shut down which means that now you know there's there's nothing being shipped in the comics realm i i am i'm really nervous and scared obviously about the most important things right now, which are people's lives that are at stake and all of our, you know, first responders, people on the front line, people keeping our world moving um, in the face of this really terrifying, you know, um, virus. But I will say as someone who has the, the, the comic books and going to the movies, going to comic shops and going to movie theaters are two things that are, um, that are like blood in, in my veins. I can't imagine my life working without them and right now i'm figuring out how to live without them and um it might sound privileged it may sound like you know ridiculous but they're just two things that are really 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 important to me and it's um it's it's scary for me to think about all the people who run movie theaters and all the people who own comic book shops and all the comic book creators and all the the, the things that tie into that world on the commerce end but also on the um on the fan and art and and it's um it's scary so i send out you know a good a good prayer and hope that um that all of those you know folks out there who are nervously waiting to see what happens that that 
business is up and running in a way soon and we can figure out how people can get back into shops and how you can how you can walk into a space that is built around touching and you know looking at things that are on shelves in a way that is safe in this crazy new world that we're a part of now you know yeah absolutely and i am concerned you know it's funny just earlier today i was talking with somebody about how how much i miss starbucks how much i miss my local comic shop how much i miss the amc that's a stone's throw away from my apartment like all of these things and it, it does feel a bit strange to be you know kind of complaining about that because you know that people are losing their lives and the world is certainly you know there are more important things but at the same time you know i as my friend pointed out, you know, it's, it's okay to mourn the loss of like what our normal everyday lives were too, I think. So absolutely. And it's a shared, it's like a shared trauma that all of us are going through. And some people it's for different things, you know, but, um, but yeah, I, I just, I hope and I pray that all, you know, the comic book shops can weather this storm and the comic book companies can weather this storm. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sad again. It's a really selfish, like privileged thing to complain about, but like, you know, count Crowley, the, the trade paperback comes out in May and I'm very excited about that. We worked really hard. We designed and, and put together an incredible trade, which obviously people can get through things like Amazon or at darkhorse.com. But I was most excited about people discovering it, you know, on the shelves at their, at their comic shop. So I, um, I'm just I, I remain optimistic, man, and I and I hope everybody listening feels the same way, and I hope you feel the same way that we, you know, we're going to get through this. It's definitely going to be ugly, and it's going to reshape the way that we do things for a while. But um, I hope everybody is doing the best they can to, even if you know, it's it's hard because a lot of people are out of work now. But if they if you're listening and if you have the means, if you have the cash and you can do it, like continue to prepay for your pull list at your shop that you go to and continue to try your best to, you know, support them so that when we're back in, you know, in, in, in whatever life is like after quarantine's over, um, you know, you can get, you can get back to your shop. Um, but yeah, it's like sometimes, you know what jinx, it's like, I, I wake up and I, and I do feel like I'm living in, um, I feel like we're living in a movie right now and it's, it's, it's scary. So it's, um, it's good to be able to also talk about a ridiculous fun movie um, because since I can't have my Frappuccino, which is kind of my treat to myself, usually uh, a couple times a week, I and I don't have a lot of my other little escapist treats that I get to have, um, like going to a matinee or going and finding some great horror comic. Um, let's talk about a crazy freaking movie with William Shatner getting his chest carved with a pentagram and losing his eyes. How about that? Well, I need to admit something uh, right up top here. I uh, <clears throat> I had never seen the movie before. I had never hey. seen the movie before this showing. So I, I I should say thank you so much for picking this movie and for giving me a reason to seek it out again. You know, I uh, I remember being a teenager, sort of pouring through a paperback copy of John Stanley's Creature Features back in the day, and that was the first time that I had read about the Devil's Reign. And I remember, you know, among the other points that he mentions, you know, he he mentions the climax with, of course, the rain and the melting people, and he mentions something about a super young John Travolta, and that's really the only thing that sort of stuck in my memory. So when you picked this movie, I was like, oh my god, yeah, that movie. I've been meaning to see it for twenty five years now so finally <laughs> i i have a reason to check it out and i watched it and it kind of blew my mind um i i what was your what was your first experience with the movie and uh why i i guess out of again out of any of the horror movies that you might have chosen why this one specifically what jumped out about this movie for you well like i said i was trying to th there are all kinds of you know, bad crap, crazy movies that, um, that fall into the genre, but this one, it just is so bonkers and it's so nutty and there's so much fun stuff since this is a podcast. And I thought this would be, this, there's so many little fun tidbits to, to chew on and talk about with a film like this. Um, I, uh, I think that, you know, probably the first time would have been in one of my, you know, um, creature feature or like, you know, horror film compendium or A to Z horror books and reading about it in, you know, different genre magazines over the years. Um, and that it was always kind of thrown in as an afterthought. I don't, I don't think I ever, I never heard anybody like feverishly talk about this film and that's, you know, you could say that's, that, that probably makes sense considering it's such a weird and offbeat movie. But I think, um, 
there were a couple of people who, you know, who, who I think have great taste and stuff. And, and every once in a while they would bring it up and be like, Oh my God, have you ever seen the devil's reign? And then a couple of years ago, maybe ugh, I lose track. A theater that I really love was doing a screening of it. And, um, and I watched the trailer for it and I was, I was hooked by the trailer. Cause I saw that makeup, that goat, that devil goat makeup. And I didn't realize at the time that that was, Ernest Borgnine wearing that crazy <laughs> makeup. I knew he was in the film, but I was like, what is this shit? And I, um, and, 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 and the last thing that drew me to it was knowing that Anton LaVey, Anton Zandor LaVey was the, um, their like occult consultant on the film. And that he also, Anton LaVey for those uninitiated listeners um, who are not aware was the, the founder of the church of Satan and quite a character uh, in his own right. And he, um, he, he, he was hired by the the filmmakers, um, which in, in what was most likely a publicity stunt, obviously having him on board the film. Um, I was going to ask, he was a technical advisor in what way? In what <laughs> <laughs> So interesting. I mean, the guy, he himself was a, you know, master publicity kind of, uh, you know, marketing guy. And I think that was how, you know, the the Church of Satan, like, was branded so well, because that was his his specialty. Uh, I mean, he was he was a publicity hound. He was also like really good at spin and marketing. And so I think, um, you know, they probably made sense in some conversation, but, but you wonder like about any of the rituals or any of the magic or any of the, you know, there, there is some really neat shots of like the, the ritual stuff or like the, the, the altars, but there's other stuff that you're like, how could the founder of the church of Satan been on this set and not pointed to that goofy looking painting on the wall and been like, guys, we got to do better than that. But, uh, Hey, you know, um, so all that drew me to this film. And then like a box of chocolates, I uh, had no clue what I was in store for when I first saw it. And um, and as I peel away the letter, the, the layers and started to um, make more and more discoveries, I was like, oh, my freaking God, where how did this movie ever exist? How did this movie happen? It's it's so bananas. You know, I. <laughs> It's funny, in discovering this movie, I mean, the movie opens with kind of this chilling music, and there are these beautiful oh. shots of these sort of Bosch hell landscapes. They're and you so see that, good, right? It, Isn't that opening amazing? It's amazing. Like, it, it's, like I, it sort of floored me in a way, because, you know, it, I, I had the same sort of experience with The Omen. I didn't see The Omen straight away as a burgeoning horror film fan. And... Um, you know, when I did eventually get around to watching it, I kind of had it in my head that The Omen was kind of this silly, kind of trashy, you know, uh, satanic movie from the 70s, right? And then I eventually get around to watching it. I'm like, oh my God, no, this is anything but. This is a really classy production. It's beautifully yeah. made. It's scary as hell. It's one of the greatest horror movies I've ever seen. I love that movie. I love yeah, the entire franchise, drama. really. It's a great um, drama. It, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And so... I kind of had it in my head, you know, because of a few of the things that I'd read. I think mostly going back to John Stanley's review, but I kind of had that same sort of feeling for The Devil's Reign. I was like, okay, this ought to be fun, you know, for whatever it's going to be. You know, it's fine. And then I hit play, and I'm hit with these landscapes, and I'm hit with that music. And then Anton LaVey is, you know, a, a technical advisor on the film. And I'm like, oh, my God, was I wrong again? Is this going to be this classy production with, you know, amazing acting, and it's going to be like this heavy sort of thing? And no. it's not. It's not. Satan, <laughs> Satan says, no, it's not. <laughs> You're it's... freaking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I maybe five minutes in, I knew I was just kind of like, okay, all right, this is oh, this is this, this is not is bad, what we're but... in store for. Yeah, it's gonna but... be a, it's a carnival. It's a freaking it's a it's a it's a carny paradise, man. It is bananas. But you know what I love about it though is that it attempts to be. You know, there are times that it seems to be as straightforward horror film like it's attempting to get under your skin and worm around a bit and it's it's taking itself seriously and then and then sometimes man you got you got you got Ernest Borgnine blowing up into a uh, a goat-headed devil man and it's just kind of like but can what? I say can I say though that of all the people in this film of everybody and 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 everybody 
you know, is 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 fun to watch. Uh, I think that that Shatner, you know, this is this is a film that I believe took place after Shatner had started his television career and and, and had made a name for himself. So it's because this is 1975. So, yeah, this is well after um, Star Trek. So it's interesting to think about, like, why why people chose to get on board this film. I think that the um, that the budget was obviously in some ways there. Maybe they spent a lot of budget just on cast since they have such a robust and an interesting cast. And there they definitely spent some money on like some of the effects. But then again, you can tell how many corners they cut by using like some old weird Wild West set and and crazy, crazy things. But I, I will say Ernest Borgnine shows up in this film and in like a major way he i don't i don't ever think of ernest borgnine as a guy who phoned in any of his performances but geez louise he seemed to really like get into this character do you do you agree don't you feel like he really like you you never get the sense that he's like making fun of the material or that he like isn't isn't a thousand percent on board with this movie he seems to really like love this performance when he first shows up and you see him, like, I, I had it in my head that, you know, after the first five or ten minutes, I was like, oh, okay, I, I know the Borgnine is the heavy in this movie. When he walks out, he's probably going to be clad in robes, and which, I mean, eventually he is. But Eventually he is, yes. When he walks out initially, he's genuinely chilling. Like, yeah. he is in, in the same way that I think of Christopher Lee being chilling uh, the first time we see him in The Horror of Dracula. He's so much scarier because he's not playing intimidating. He's not playing horror movie villain. He's playing nice guy with sinister undertones underneath. You know, he's he's playing charming right. in a way. And it makes him scarier for it. And, yeah, I mean, he kind of he kind of took me aback a bit, if I'm being honest, you know, the first time he's on screen. But I will say, too, like... I kind of feel the same way about the other actors as well. Like, it doesn't seem like anybody is... Nobody is embarrassed to be in this movie, it doesn't seem like. You know, even Shatner, like, everyone... You know, I get the feeling there's a couple times when Eddie Albert seemed to be like, oh. <laughs> no, okay, fair enough. kind of yeah. like, what am I doing here? There's There's some scenes like... He had first, I, was, I couldn't tell. Kind of like, if, okay. and, and, and by the way, Eddie Albert, it's like, hey, dude, like... Green Acres was like your kind of claim to fame for a minute there. So I don't think you have too much to be mocking here. But um, I love Eddie Albert. Um, don't get me wrong. But he definitely um, – he does this He does this performance in um, in the, the first time that we meet his character. Maybe we should go back for your listeners to like talk through the plot a little bit. But um, – but but he you know when, when they're having that weird psychic experiment in like the in the like gallery of of medical professionals, I was like, oh, he seems to be like he's into this, he's on board. And then by the end, when they're actually like in the temple, I was like, this dude feels like he's rolling his eyes. But Shatner pretty much stuck through it all the way. Um, but I'll be damned if good old and you know Tom Skerritt gives it his all. Um, and I have some some thoughts about that because. Uh, I love Tom Skerritt and he does something really interesting in this that made me laugh. Um, But yeah, let's, let's uh, just for those, you know, who are, who are, who are virgins to the magic that is the devil's reign. I I think it's really interesting because you said as the credits roll, as the movie begins, if you're sitting at home tonight and you, and you get this film, which is easily found on the internet through Amazon, I think you can find it on lots of different places. I'm sure. Um, the, 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 the Bosch paintings set this great tone. And then we cut to this weird family drama that feels a little bit like, um, feels a little bit like, um, um, oh, like just like any seventies, I guess, TV show, um, where these, this, the, you know, William Shatner bursts in and, and his, his mom and their weird kind of uncle figure, which Johnny, I think is his name are, um, or at the house and, you know, dad's out looking, for, I mean, uh, Shatner's been looking for dad and he can't find dad. And we get the sense that there's something urgent going on. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he, and he talks about, <laughs> um, he talks about Corbis, I think at that point, but then the, the dad just shows up like, uh, what, like his face is melting. Am I? Am I right? Isn't that how? Isn't that kind of how the whole thing starts? And then his I, his I eyes are scarred. Actually, yeah. because I yeah, you're right. Yeah, the the movie 
we get a lot thrown at us in the first five minutes of this oh, film. We're introduced yeah, to the family. You're right. The antagonist yeah. is set up. We get the melting man, you know, the father. We we learn about the book. There is the magic amulet that protects his wear. Oh, uh, right, there's right, Shatner right, right, taking right. up yeah, arms to go after Corvus. Like, yeah. it moves like a bat out of hell at first. But, yeah, you're um, right. It's but I did want to ask you. few minutes, yeah. Is that the, I mean, everything that the movie eventually tells us is that, yeah, that was the dad in the opening. But, it, it yeah. There, it, there's... We're told in the opening, well, it's his face and his clothes, but there's clearly a mask on display there. And so I was wondering when I was watching it initially, I was kind of like, okay, what gives here? Is it his father and a bad effect? Or was it somebody meant to be wearing the father's skin? And I I, <laughs> I think ultimately it's the former, but deep down, I want to believe it's the latter yeah. because it makes it so much... I think yeah. that's wishful thinking, James. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to uh, burst your, uh, your, your horror-loving bubble there, but I will say that uh, as cool as it would have been if they had like carved human masks off of the faces of their victims, the reality is, I believe, hey, as with what happens with a lot of like the mom figure later and and even Shatner, is that these people's souls are taken from them, and so the way that makeup created this eerie effect of like these faces uh you know faces without eyes um was was that so i think the dad showing up um is 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 like his his soul has been stolen by corvus and 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 yeah the movie opens with the mom basically saying to her son played by william shatner his name's mark the prestons if you recall um says they they found us they found us and and and, and we're and you know Shatner's so mad, some guy named Corbus. I'm gonna get Corbus. He gets his gun. We're gonna get him. And then and then the dad does come in, his face melts off. The mom puts this amulet around Shatner's neck and says, They can't get to you if you keep the amulet on. So you're thinking, just leave this on, then you're gonna win. But of course, you know that's not gonna happen. And then he just goes out into like the driveway, and all of a sudden, somehow the bad guys have gone into the house. So, so Shatner like goes out to the car. He's going to go, he's going to go, going to go find this mysterious Corvus guy. And then all of a sudden he hears screaming. So he runs back in the house. All of 30 seconds has gone by, by the way. But during that 30 seconds, they've somehow managed to string up this mysterious, this uncle character, Johnny by both of his feet. If you remember, he's hanging upside down and beaten to a pulp. Mom is missing. She's now been abducted by the Satanists. And, um, and uh and and then mark has, you know is going to go and and rescue both his mom and hopefully his dad and and put this put this ages old curse to 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 bed once and for all and can i admit like the opening in a weird way reminded me a bit of uh you might find this strange i completely understand but it reminded me a bit of lord of illusions the clive barker movie with uh interesting yeah it well there's an evil cult Located yep. in a desert. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we have a sequence of rain melting down a cult member. You know, like, it, it, I, I, I would be very curious if Clyde Barker has seen this movie and just thought, like, eh, I could do that better, Dude, maybe. You know what? Yeah. I never even thought about that. You're absolutely right. I'm sure. I'm, well, let's let's reach out to him and ask him. I, I don't know if he's on social media, but if anybody's listening, we should tweet at him if he has if he has Twitter. Or let's figure that out. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm really certain that, that he – oh, and now my cat is climbing over my Remco Monster Mad Laboratory bubblegum. Come here, Abner. Please don't squish my... My mummy is like my favorite character. Okay, there she goes. Um, thank you for that. Uh, so, 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 so Shatner bolts out to the desert where, like you referenced earlier, he has this encounter with a very haunting Ernest Borgnine who plays the titular... He's not the titular, but he plays the the devil's disciple, the the main the main lord of 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 this of this particular cult, which is you know was founded during um during the uh, it looked like the Mayflower area era definitely looks like a, a Plymouth Rock type of settlement um when we get some flashbacks, but his name is Corbus and um, do you remember the scene because 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 uh, Borgnine gives Shatner a cup of coffee. It's random, and 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 Shatner like takes a sip of the coffee and spits. I'm like, you're gonna take a coffee from this from this satanic cult leader who you know just kidnapped your mom, and he <laughs> takes a sip of it. And instead of it having any plot, like 
value whatsoever. It just gives Borgnine the opportunity to give this weird line about like the bitter taste at the end of a journey. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, I think he tries to sell him on it. He says something like it's it's bitter, but it tastes sweet if it quenches your thirst or something like that. Or, you know, it's something like like it could have been a coffee commercial uh, tagline, you know. And... Oh, dude, let's cut this. Let's cut a new trailer for <laughs> Jeff's Rain. It's a new form of drip coffee. We're bringing it back from the old. <laughs> well, I love it. At the end of the commercial must surely be that shot of Shatner where he considers it. He's like, yeah, you know, fair point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sip. It's like one of those Folgers commercials, like the Christmas commercials where the guy comes home from the army early and like surprises everybody. But in this one, it's the dad coming home with his face melting off and then they're all like <laughs> drinking the coffee. Um, I think that's a great idea. We should do that. Um, so so basically that's around, I think, when when the whole when the whole crux of the film is set up and Borgnine basically says like. I challenge you to this test of faith. It becomes biblical for a minute. You know, you know, all of a sudden Shatner, Mark, Mark is the name of his character is like Mark Preston is like the Christ figure. And, and so, 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 so Corbus says, if you come, if you, if you come into my temple, my unholy temple of Satan, uh, put you to the test. If, if you, if, if, if your faith is wins, then he's going to let him get his mom back. And dad, I think he says, I'll let you have your mom and dad back. But if Mark loses, then Corbus gets this book, this coveted book, which we will learn about makes kind of no sense. Um, he's going to give, he's going to, Corbus gets the book and he gets to keep Mark's soul if Mark fails this test. So then like a you know genius that he is, Mark Preston, played by the stunning William Shatner, who looks great, by the way, at this time in his career. I mean, the guy is like, he's like, really like, you know, he's, this guy was like a was 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 sci-fi matinee kind of idol, great actor. He'd been on so many cool things, and you watch him walking into that church, and you wonder if down deep he was having the same like inner monologue as an actor going, why did I walk into this film? Um, and, uh, <laughs> and there is this great sequence, which for the horror lovers out there, which I'm assuming anyone listening is, um, didn't you dig that moment when he, when you walk into that, the temple looked cool, right? The stained glass, the people in the black cloaks, the, like the chanting, I think that oh, shit's sure. pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm plus, you know, I gotta admit like, more than any other type of horror movie villain, cults freak me out more than anything. You put a cult in a movie, I'm, 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 I'm pretty much done with at that point. You know, the Wicker Man, Kill List, anything of the sort. You know, I, I, yeah, no, they're real. Yeah, it's like a totally, absolutely. Like, I, I should say, living. real life cults freak me out too. Um, yeah, dude, there's something really scary about about like crowd mentality and like. When you watch like crazy rallies nowadays, you know, from around the world or even in our own country, or you watch like the way that people can get whipped up into a, a furor. And if you listen to any other kinds of different podcasts out there, there's been so many interesting, you know, investigative and also like just narrative stories about the different cults over over the last, you know, couple hundred years that have just done so much. I mean, it's terrifying when you think about like Jim Jones and you think about stuff like that. I, I, that stuff creeps me out to no end. And, um, yeah, so, so there's more nine, you know, one mind, one monster, but many arms, you know, there's something about yeah. that. That's just, <laughs> and he, uh, he's there in his red, uh, you get your red cloaked, uh, Ernest Borgnine. Were you satisfied? Did that, did that, did that, did that, did that, uh, make you happy? Um, uh, when you saw him standing there in his red, uh, shiny cloak, it did. Good. I'm. Was it worth it then, Jinx? It was. Was this whole experience worth it? So you got to see. I, I I will admit, you know, just deep down somewhere in my psyche, you know, the moment that he finally shows up in the robes, like I was just kind of like, yes, yeah, yeah. And and by the way, I believe that is Anton Lavey playing the organ. Although I know he shows up later in the film because he's definitely the priest that they put in that weird two shot of Borgnine at the. Uh, at the big ritual sequence at the end, like that head priest. But I believe that's LeVay playing the organ during that um, entree into the, uh, into the temple as well. Oh, and by the way, don't forget Mark's it's mother's day. Mark's incredible mom is sitting there and surprise, surprise. She has no eyes 
and the weird makeup or the weird like mask face, you know? Yeah. Which is, I, you know, I, you're expecting it. And yet at the same time, there's something about, I love the idea the blending of genres in a way here. I, I, I love that the film sort of melds, villains that look as though they might have stepped out of like a, a gothic horror tale and has transplanted them into you know the american west with a pair <laughs> of two-fisted gun-toting heroes to boot and there's that moment when you know even as much as cults creep me out there is this moment when shatner sort of strides in and he's got his gun and he's got his amulet and it's like oh they they don't stand a chance you know they're this yeah. these He's I've I've watched Star Trek. He's going to kick everybody's ass here, you know, and there is that moment when they reveal his mother and it's just kind of like that's the moment where it's like, oh, no, there's no hope here. He's 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 gone. And it just at that movie, it switches from being like, you know, Shatner's tale. You know, it, it switches from him being the hero to him being like, oh, he's not the hero of this piece at all. Yeah. Like, isn't that weird? Can't... Isn't that weird? They set up the whole first act for you to believe that this is a film about, you know. Mark Preston, William Shatner's character being, you know, this hero that's going to have his fet, his faith tested. And then as you're right, he walks into the, to the temple. He's uh, basically, you know, just dogpiled by a bunch of Satanists, including, I think one of the first performances from the great John Travolta is the yes. character, Danny, who, um, who you can you can once you realize that it's him he's easy to track throughout the film and he's like he's probably the only cult member that has like a recurring kind of track as a character even though he's not in much of the movie but um but it's funny uh Danny Zuko is there in the cult he's been you know he's been recruited like for his days singing in yeah singing <laughs> Greece to uh worshiping the lord of darkness um and uh, yeah, there is totally. And, um, and, the, and, and he shoots one of the cult members, I think before they, they get him um, or before they, before they, uh, before they chase him outside, he shoots somebody. And it, it, as I recall, it looks kind of like a strawberry milkshake that they used for the goo that comes out of um, the, 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 the possessed members of the cult. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Pretty, yeah. There's, pretty- always like there are two streams when any cult member gets shot there's always one hole for like the 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 strawberry milkshake and then there's another hole for like this almost neon green goo yep. that sprays out too and i'm just like what what is what is what is going on inside of those people that this is what happens when <laughs> they, they get you know punctured. it's a nickelodeon tie-in man they were trying <laughs> to uh, to set something up for uh, a great a great crossover event that never came to fruition but it was definitely in the minds of nickelodeon and um so so yeah shatner runs outside and it's like such a it's such a frustrating moment for an audience member, but it's it's actually kind of scary and cool. And I felt bad for the snake because he really manhandles that thing. But basically Shatner runs out. And don't forget, everyone listening, remember, his mother told him if he just can keep this amulet on, they can't get him. Like no one can mess with him. Satan himself cannot mess with Mark Preston if he keeps his amulet on. So he runs outside and and Borgnine and the cult are following him. And then, of course dumbass looks at his amulet and they put a trick on you know they, they're, they're doing some mind trickery they're casting a little satan spell and so he thinks a snake is around his neck so he rips the snake off and he throws it and of course that's his amulet and then um and that's it that's basically it for mark from that point on it's going to be like uh you know let's rip his clothes off let's take our swirly cult dagger and carve some pentagrams into his flesh and and then we cut to who becomes the real hero of the film Tom Skerritt, um, and 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 in the weirdest cutting uh, moment of of that I've seen or that I had seen at, at that point, it's so strange. He goes from we go from this this drama in this in this in this abandoned mining community, which looks like an abandoned old you know Western film set, which it probably was, um, to this very. RKO-looking sci-fi set um, where Eddie Albert, who plays Dr. Richards, and then Tom Skerritt, who is, we find out, because it's a little confusing at first figuring that out, is um, William Shatner's brother 
Tom and Tom's wife, Julie, who uh, is is doing like a, a weird, she's like laying on a table and they're doing like a, in like a, almost like a surgical gallery. They're doing this, like this experiment um, testing. Julie has this gift for ESP. So she's, they're doing a test on her. Um, and it, it, it is such a, it's such a great like homage to like 1950s sci-fi and the way that the whole set is laid out. It's, it's really fascinating. And um, Julie, by the way, I recognized her when I first saw the film, but I went back and, and looked it up. And she, um, she was in a bunch of good, like B and Z movies back in the day. Um, I think the actor's name was Joan Prather, but anyway, um, she's having these like psychic visions of what's happening to Shatner back in the Western town. And then we get our first glimpse of the goat, the goat man, which is just awesome. Ernest Borgnine as like Satan, the goat. He's, um, he's something like that. (laughs) That, that that makeup effect is, you know, it's not even, it's not at all bad. It's no, actually... dude. It's it's rad. There's so much about the makeup to love in this. If you're a horror person and you love like '70s vibrant, colored Argento esque kind of like gore, then you would love this movie. Do you agree with me? Like, yeah, there's oh, so no, much no, to love I in. Totally oh. do. But it. But at the same time, it's like I gotta admit, the first time that Shatner shoots somebody and you see. You know, the goose spraying out. It's just kind of like, oh, I didn't think it was that kind of movie, but it's totally that kind of movie now. And then it kind of lulls you back into being like, okay, no, this is more of a serious-minded movie, and it's kind of, you know, it's creepy, and it's, you know, it's uh, somewhat realistic, even for all the craziness going on. It's a bit grounded, even for what you saw before with the the, the goose spurting. And then... And then you see, you know, uh, you see Borgnine in the makeup, and it's just kind of like, it's... It's a great effect, but it's also a shock. Like, there's such a tonal, like, sort of, like, it's jarring in a way to me. But not in a way that takes me out of the movie. It's just kind of like, oh, we're doing that now? Okay, cool. Let's go. You know? Dude, you know what's blowing my mind right now? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, like, this is totally blowing my mind. I just realized that... um, the makeup artist for I never looked this up before. I can't believe because I usually that's one of the first things I go to. Um, I just pulled up the IMDb page and the film's makeup was done by Ellis Berman Jr., who I want to say Ellis Berman was 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 obviously if this is if this is who I think it is was his father was like a legendary special effects makeup artist who did like worked on the Wolfman, um, did, I believe he designed the cane that, um, that, uh, that, um, 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 Claude Rains, you know, uses as, um, as, um, um, Lon Chaney Jr.'s father in the Wolfman to, to, to kill him with at the end, you know, when, um, Lawrence Talbot, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think that if I'm correct, Ellis Berman designed that cane, designed that like prop. And then his son um, is Ellis Berman Jr., who was the makeup artist on Devil's Reign, as well as it looks like many other really cool things like the Star Trek films. And he worked on Close Encounters of the First Kind. He worked on alienation the tv series which i loved he worked on the goonies he created the the makeup for sloth in the goonies <laughs> he did um starman and his nephew is a is a friend of mine barney berman who uh did uh, my 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 face getting blown off in um the movie bird box a couple years ago i don't know if you ever saw bird box but um barney is uh I'm sorry. I don't mean to go on this tangent. I just, no, as, no, a, as a horror nerd, I feel like I can't believe I never really dug into, cause I, for some reason I thought that the makeup department on, on, um, devil's reign were Italian, but I, I'm totally wrong here. Like this is, this is amazing. 1975 devil's reign. He was the special effects makeup artist. That is, that's incredible. 
Um, boy, you learn something new every day with a great piece of classic American cinema like this, huh? <laughs> no, it is. And it is a great effect. I love his look. I, uh, you know, once he appears that way, I kind of wish that he had just stayed that way for the, the duration of the film. It doesn't work out that way, but I, <laughs> he's such a Yeah, he goes figure. back and forth, doesn't he? He goes back and forth between, um, between his goat look, which is beautiful, and then his uh, burnt regular old Ernest Borgnine being super intense, super crazy. Um, let me just ask really quick for you, you and anybody who's listening that was because when when I first asked if we could talk about this movie, you said that I think you said you had never seen it before, but you were excited to check it out, and then you messaged me and you were excited because you realized that it was um, directed by Robert Fuest, and you. Yes. Um, said that you're a fan of Fives, which to me is probably Price's greatest. I mean, there's so many great films of Vincent Price. And Vincent Price, for, for me as an actor, is definitely one of my my heroes. Um, I just love, I love him so much. But um, but but Abominable Dr. Fives is a very special film, which, um, which I love. And I'm assuming you must as well. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love... But those, I will admit, I, you know, to me, when I think Vincent Price, my mind immediately goes to uh, Corman's, you know, AI Poe cycle. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, we're talking like right below that, like the very next thought. It's I mean, it's got to be fives. And I can't believe yeah. we only have two movies. How do we not have seven fives films? I know. I know. I think it got caught up in some baloney with the studio because um, from what I've heard, there's different. I was actually talking to some guys recently about wanting to. um to take a new stab at, um, at fives, my God, what I wouldn't give to get a chance to play, um, the abominable doctor, scientist and organist, Dr. Anton fives. He shares the same first name as the founder of the church of Satan. Is that a coincidence? Me thinks not. Um, yeah, I would, I love that man. So anyway, sorry, we digress. We digress. But yes. Um, no, but hey, that's the show in a nutshell. And I will say about fives. I got to ask if you're a fan. Have you read the um, any of the novels? Um, I, have, I have not read the novels. I've only seen the, the two films. But I um, I used to go to a place called the Cine Family in Los Angeles. And they had screened uh, a 35 millimeter print of uh, fives back in the day, which was pretty exceptional. So I will. Should I check out the books? Are they great? <laughs> I, you know, I haven't checked them out myself. I just discovered that they existed not that long ago. And I was like, you know, it, if we only got the two films, but there are something like, it's strange. I think there are like four or five novels, but then one of them is like, there's another one. It's like novel 3.5. It gets a little wonky, like the different types of uh, continuations there are, but they're all written by the same guy, the guy who created the character. And I've always thought like, you know, I feel this way about Kolchak too. I'm like, Rather than, you know, because they had bandied about the idea of remaking Kolchak not that long ago. Maybe yeah, it's been like four or five years ago. And I'm just jinx, like, that's... Jinx, jinx, Let me just say, and I'll go on the record here. I will be the person who revamps Kolchak. And that's going to happen. It will happen <laughs> in our lifetime. And I promise you. I mean, you can't tell me that you didn't see how much of an impact Kolchak had on me when you were reading Count Crowley. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yes, yes. In a great way, you know. I, um... But I, but I've, I, I wonder about that too. Like you know, you're, you're obviously a comic book fan. You know, I'm a comic book fan. There is something that somebody pointed out a long time ago. I think they might've even been talking about the nineties Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies when the actress who played April O'Neil, you know, they changed yes. from the first movie to the, the sequels. Right. And the way, the best way somebody described it to me, because that stuff sort of annoyed me back in the day, but somebody mentioned, they're like, you like comic books, right? Well, you know, um, the, 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 um, oh God, uh, why is my brain failing me? Like the John Burns Superman does mm -hmm. not look the same as Frank Miller's Superman. Of course uh, not. does not look the same as, you know, the initial Superman. So why can't you simply buy another actor as saying that role? And so to me, like, I always felt like, why not apply that to movies too? You know, it, it kind of happened with, uh, Flanagan's Dr. Sleep, you know, instead of, you know, uh, trying to pull any CG trickery, you simply recast those roles. And I always felt like, you know, if you're going to bring back Cold Shack or if you were going to bring back Fibes, why not just do a sequel? 
you know, uh, yeah. instead of like retelling that story or remaking right. it, you know, if, why if not I do... was going to do Kolchak now, it couldn't be uh, a remake anyway, because the world has changed so much and the way that we, you know, get our news and information has changed so much, which in in many ways is is what what has been so fun for me about writing Count Crowley, because I set that in 1983 just for that you know, one of the main reasons was I wanted to write, you know, about monsters controlling news and information at the beginning of the cable era. But with Kolchak, like newspapers are mostly digital and online now. So I thought it would be really interesting if, if Kolchak, you know, loses his job because they're closing all of the the newspapers um, or they're consolidating them and they're all becoming conglomerates. And he ends up getting a job at some, you know, writing for some online, you know, uh, outlet, which really to him is like, you know, no way. Like I, I, I used to write for the freaking Chicago Tribune. Now I have to write for, you know, like newscatcher.blogspot. Like what is this? But he needs to pay his bills. Like he needs to get his ham sandwiches and his cigarettes and his coffee. So he takes the gig and then of course stumbles upon all of these crazy monsters and stuff but I, I i think you have to have like you can't just remake something because it was cool we saw what happened when they did that with the psycho you know as much as i love gus van zandt like there was yeah. nothing new brought to the table it was just a, a this attempt at a shot for shot remake which is a kind of experiment if you will but um i feel like if you don't have something new to say what's the point of re-exploring something that was so great so you can totally bring in new actors you can bring in people to play the same characters for goodness sakes there's been how many tens of thousands of productions of hamlet done and everything from japanese to you know american english you know to to you, you i mean that you could do hamlet four thousand ways and it's been done forty thousand ways and, and some of them are amazing you know like we could do it over and over again for the rest of time um, but I don't think there will ever be a remake of the devil's reign. And I think that's okay. I think there should only be one, the devil's reign. I would be okay with the um, sequel. I mean, you know, if somebody wanted me to write a sequel for the devil's reign, don't think I wouldn't love getting my, uh, dipping my fingers in blood and performing some rituals here, uh, with my, you know, um, satanic Bible and figuring out, uh, I don't know. I'm actually, it's funny that we're having this conversation. I'm at my desk right now in my office and I'm reading the secret life of a Satanist, the authorized biography of Anton LaVey by his wife. And it is, it is such an interesting, um, kind of PR piece. Cause it's, imagine, you know, like my wife getting to write my authorized biography, man, you're going to, make me look like the best person that ever was. Um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting read. Plot wise, where did we leave off with the devil's reign? We okay. Are... Okay. So Tom played by Tom Garrett um, is, is his wife is this psychic and she, you know, has these visions about what's happening. So he, he drives out to get to the bottom of where his brother and his mom and his father have all disappeared to. He knows this, you know, history, with his family that there's some bizarre connection to this, this Satanist and, and, and he, you know, he has some kind of vague idea about what's happening, but, um, but he gets, he gets back to the parents, to his parents' house. And the only person left of course, is this old weird uncle character, John, Johnny, who just keeps saying they had no faces. They had no faces. Well, John, they, they, they actually had faces. They just had no eyes. So, um, I think John needs to get checked for his, um, his, his mental, uh, state, but, uh, yes, that's, that's right. So he sends them off into the desert where of course, you know, the sheriff is like, there's a big storm that's been out there. I, I, I mean, I know three people are missing and, 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 and one was, you know, severely assaulted and, and, and there's a kidnapping and potential murder, but I can't, I can't go out to that old mine in town because we might have a storm coming. It's, it's the most ridiculous, awful excuse of why he, uh, he can't go. And then, and then, and so Tom Scarrett and his wife, you know, they, they, they get word to, you know, or Eddie Albert says, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of some stuff here. I'm going to figure out what's going on and, and I'll, I'll catch up with you. So, so Tom and his wife, um, they go, they go to the, the place where, you know, the church is and we cut at this point to, um, William Shatner, 
who's been stripped naked. His chest has been carved with a satanic knife with a pentagram and, um, and Eddie, uh, 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 Ernest Borgnine, who's getting super creepy at this point in the film. Um, you know, he's demanding to know where is this book? I need the book. Give me the freaking book. Give me the book. And this will all be over. I'll end your suffering. And he brings in, um, uh, an iteration of Lilith, the goddess Lilith to seduce Shatner and, and, and ply him for, for the news on where this book is. And, and, and Lilith, um, a little tidbit for all of you nerd listeners out there who like me had to sit and watch Hee Haw as a kid growing up. I remember being blown away when I first saw the devil's reign because, um, because, because Lilith is, is played and she's, she's quite sultry in, in the film by, um, the woman who played uh, that goofy character on Hee Haw, Sunshine Corn Silk, uh, kind of the ditzy blonde farm girl, um, <laughs> same actor, um, and I believe her name was Lisa Todd. And anyway, um, so she's seducing him. We think they're going to have sex, and then Shatner opens his eyes, and oh, it's his mother, and she's got no eyes, and um, it's crazy. And 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 which and was deeply just, disturbing. It's so disturbing. <laughs> and can I point out? For all of this movie's faults, failings, and goofiness, the wonderful makeup, there's some wonderful performance in here, there's some incredible music and score, but god dang, if there isn't some amazing cinematography, do you remember oh, it's gorgeous, the scene when like Tom and, uh, and um, god, what's his wife's name? Um, I keep forgetting. Anyway, oh, Julie. So Tom and Julie show up at the church just for that shot alone. I mean, it's beautiful. And they, and they, they go into this, you know, satanic church and, and like a big chase ensues. And I believe it's, is it Travolta that they get in the fight with in the, uh, in like the old saloon? Do you remember? You know, they get- I did not really, I didn't take notice of Travolta until near the climax. Actually. Okay. I, I actually okay. had this moment where I was like, Oh, there he is. Got it. Got it. So they, they have this, they, they run outside, their car gets blown up. Things are nuts. I, I think this is the same set they use to shoot the TV series Deadwood, which I love, by the way. And anybody listening who never watched Deadwood, go watch Deadwood. It's so good. Um, but uh, this like no-eyed satanic cowboy jumps out. They get in a big fight. Um, and this is when what this movie is all about, even though it doesn't really make sense, gets revealed to us. So Julie looks at this satanic, you know, cowboy who they've tied up with rope that came from god knows where she just happens to go here tie him up and she has a big length of rope so so tom scarrett ties up this 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 cult member and 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 julie's like oh i'm having a vision i'm having one of my visions and we flash back to plymouth rock they're all dressed in like pilgrim attire (laughs) william shatner is playing his own ancestor which is odd that they didn't just call them the prestons they call them some other name i don't remember what it is and um ernest borgnine is leading a cult of satanists and then of course he gets confronted by the 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 rest of their um their uh, uh of their um settlement and all these um you know, all these uh, pilgrims come with torches and, and pitchforks and they're like, we know that you're a Satanist. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm not having a satanic ritual inside my little uh, log cabin here, but he is. And they and and basically William Shatner's ancestors betray Corbett, which is Borgnine's character back in 1666 or whatever. And um, and they've got this this book this book that which all of the souls that um that Borgnine that Corbus has 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 taken for the name of Satan all these souls that have have signed over their their spirits to to the devil are signed into this book and um and Borgnine he needs that book to give to the devil um to close the deal and uh and the uh you know, um, Shatner's ancestors have the book. And even though they're Satanists too, and they, they betrayed, um, Corvus, the rest of the pilgrims are like, well, we're going to burn you too. So they all get burned at the stake. Um, but basically before he burns alive, um, Borgnine puts a curse on, on Shatner's descendants and says however long it takes how many however far i have to go i'm going to come back i'm going to get that book from you so then 
then we come back to, you know, this amazing ritual stuff. And I, I, I don't know, I know you had said you love that, that kind of stuff in cinema, but for me, everything from eyes wide shut all the way back to Rosemary's baby, when you've got like a really cool, weird ritual and a bunch of people acting bonkers, it's, it's horrifying. And, um, and that's, <laughs> I agree. that's what's happening. You know, they're having that Remember, they go out by like a, a canyon and now it's like an outdoor there's like the big we're getting close to the climax kind of ritual and the goat man is back in full effect oh that's awesome and then we also oh um it does occur to me i know that we're just about to reach our time and i wanted to ask you do you do you feel as though this is a widely seen horror film no 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 i, think I don't this film either. i think it got buried because I tried to do some research uh, when I knew we were going to talk about it because I've always been curious, like, how did A, a movie like this get made? And I couldn't find out a lot about it. Um, and B, how did it do? And I, as far as I could discover, it oddly came out um, around my birthday. And in it was, but in 1975 it came out. Um, but I think it came out around July 21st. And um but it said it only was released in New York and Los Angeles, which means it was like an art house release. And I don't know what kind of a life it had on um, VHS, you know, uh, in the years since. But I feel like it's a movie that just not a lot of people have seen. I agree. And I was wondering, uh, given that it's not widely seen and I know uh, our time is just about up. What if we leave the climax for uh, for our listeners to discover for themselves if they I haven't yet? I think that's a great seen. idea. I think they they they're going to after this podcast they're going to be clawing their way through the internet to find a copy of The Devil's Reign because don't you want to know what The Devil's Reign even means and don't you don't you realize that by watching this film, dear listener, you're going to understand what the title means or are you are you ever going to really understand because <laughs> After all these years, I must be honest, I don't know if I still understand what the F is the devil's reign. <laughs> and I will say, uh, if I can push listeners just a bit more by just saying, uh, just know that when you watch this movie, you, you are also going to be getting a massive part of horror history. Did you know that the cast they took of Shatner on this film became the Don Post Star Trek mask, which means that it also became the Shapes mask in Stop Halloween. It. In Stop fact, it. if well, I keep in mind, like later on in the movie, and this this is entering spoilery territory, but when Shatner has a need for um having had a cast of his face in the first place, I'm trying to dance around spoilers here, but there is a moment when he's wearing a hood and he ha is grappling with someone. And I kid you not, watch this again. As soon as we hop off of here, you need to see. He tilts his head slightly to the right, like a dog hearing a whistle. And it's totally a shape moment with the actual guy. That's so amazing. I'm just throwing that out there. Please, listeners, check it out for that moment alone and so many more, too. And uh, yeah. I, I, know, you know who I would know. know. Ryan Turek would know. Would know. We'll have to ask Ryan. I don't know <laughs> about this. Um, that's amazing, dude. I did not know that bit of um, that history. And honestly, viewers, listeners, if you if you watch this film, there's like the, the there's in the in the climax. And, and I won't give any spoilers away, but you see some there's a there's a makeup sequence that. Even my my wife, who's not like the biggest, you know, horror genre fan, when she first saw that, was like, "Damn, that is really it's cool. I love it. I think it's really really neat." All right, sir. We have pretty much hit our time. Can I ask? Do you have any final parting thoughts on the Devil's Reign? Uh, open your mind, as Quato would say. Um, I hope you will give the movie a chance and um, open your mind and you get some popcorn and get ready for a crazy night of, you know, quarantine escapism. And um, and if you love watching and dissecting and making fun of uh, classic horror and, and honoring it and reveling in it, um, then I do also hope you'll check out... Um, 
my comic book series, Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter from Dark Horse. The trade paperback comes out in just about a month, and I'm very proud of it, uh, and it definitely deals with classic horror. And maybe, maybe, Jinx, I need to uh, write up a, a plot where Count Crowley is hosting uh, an episode of um, Friday Night Scream Theater in which they're playing The Devil's Reign. Please. Please, I will. Uh, I I just I just need more adventures with that character. Anyway, but that uh, that would definitely be fantastic too. Now, can I ask where can folks find you at online, and uh, what can we keep an eye on for from you in the future? So my um, Instagram and Twitters are at Dasmalchin. I also have um, a Facebook fan page where I post updates about stuff. And now I I just started a Count Crowley um, Facebook page. Um, I think there's like nine people following it. So check it out because I'm trying to post as much fun content there while we're all in quarantine lockdown as possible. And be on the lookout for, um, yeah, be on the lookout for the Count Crowley Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter uh, Volume 1 trade paperback due out from Dark Horse Comics in uh, the month of May. All things, um, you know, hoping to stay on time considering the 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 craziness right now i wrote and star in a film called all creatures here below which also stars the great karen gillen um and was directed by my friend colin shifley which is available now um on i believe all the streaming um outlets and i um am excited to get a chance like i'm sure the rest of you to see uh dune which comes out uh later this year and if you get a chance go to hulu i'm i'm currently playing the character johnson on the the series um called reprisal which i'm really proud of it's a neat 10 episode first season and i hope um we get to do more of them because it's a really neat world that uh our creator made um his name is josh Corbin, which I thought was funny. The creator of the show that I work on, Josh <laughs> Corbin, when I was watching um, The Devil's Reign, uh, the trailer, and in trying to like, you know, remind myself of all my favorite parts of the film, I remember that Corbis is the name of the leader of the satanic cult. So I'll have to tell my friend Josh to watch this movie. All right, sir. Thank you again so much for your time and for uh, for chatting about this awesome movie. I would recommend that every listener out there definitely seek it out. Thanks, Jinx. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay as sane as possible. All right, and thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below, and give us a yell on Facebook or Twitter. That's at Scream Annex, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.